We've been working through uh, Luke's gospel during Advent and, and uh, into Christmas, and um, this, uh, this passage in Luke chapter 2 is our text this morning, what's been called the birth narrative. It's some of the most beautiful and familiar and beloved words of Christmas found in this chapter, in this section. I have fond memories as a child growing up um, around the breakfast table uh, with my parents reading this story to us every Christmas morning. Uh, we've read excerpts from this passage three or four times already during Advent and even last night in Christmas Eve. Uh, Peter offered a meditation on this passage last night, and I'm going to offer some more thoughts on it this morning. Uh, it comes to us, this birth narrative, in three different scenes, and I'm just going to read us a theme and offer some brief reflection on it before moving on to the next theme. So before we do that, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for sending your son, that you so loved the world that uh, you sent your son. You did not spare him, but freely gave him up for us all. Jesus, we praise you that uh, though you are God, son of God, second person of the Trinity from all eternity, you did not regard equality with God, something to be grasped, but emptied yourself, taking the form of a servant. Thank you that you are faithful as that servant, even to the point of death on a cross. Lord, teach us from your word today. Fill us with, with a fresh appreciation of, of uh, who you are, Jesus, and what you've done for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, scene one focuses on uh, Mary and Joseph's travel to Bethlehem during the birth of Jesus. If you're able, will you stand for the reading of God's word? We'll read the first seven verses. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up to the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David." He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. You may be seated. Well, Luke is setting this story of Jesus in the context of real-world history. Uh, real world history, his birth occurred during a, season, uh, a, a census that was uh, commanded by a Caesar, Caesar Augusta, Augustus, the Roman emperor. Uh, it took place in a town called Bethlehem near Judea, near Jerusalem. Um, not in Narnia, right? Not in Middle Earth, not in a galaxy far, far away. Our faith is a historical faith. It's grounded in actual events, and though it contains incredible miracles, the story is not a fairy tale. It's not a myth. It's not a legend. These events actually happened. And this is important because our faith teaches us that, that uh, the, the power behind the universe is not some impersonal principle. It's not some cosmic goodwill. Our faith is not about ideas that make us better people. Our faith is based in a real historical person, Jesus of Nazareth, who can be known and loved. It insists that Jesus is not just a great human being, 
but he is actually the pre-existent son of God, creator of the universe, who miraculously came to earth as a human being to live the life we should live but don't, to die the death that we deserve in our place so that we will never have to. Jesus' incarnation, his virgin birth, his death and resurrection, these are critical elements of the story that if they never actually happened, our faith would be worthless. And yet, despite how important these events are, it's remarkable how simple, how concise Luke's account of the birth of God's son really is. Luke simply records, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available to them. That's it. And that's all Luke says about the greatest miracle in the history of the world, the eternal son of God being born as one of us. It happens quietly in a stable in an obscure village in Judea. It's mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing that the Son of God would humble himself to the point of setting aside his glory as God and limit himself by taking the form of human flesh. It's even more mind-blowing that he would be chose to be born in such a simple, obscure even desperate situation. The angel Gabriel had said to Mary, greetings you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you, Luke 1.28. Yet there was no guest room available for them, Luke 2.7. The angel said, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, Luke 1.32. But she placed him in a manger, Luke 2, 7. Why these contrasts between Mary's favor and her baby's greatness and, and their humble circumstances? The answer is given in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. What a beautiful way to express what the Son of God did for us in leaving his eternal glory in heaven to meet us in our spiritual poverty and all of our needs so that we could experience the glory of our heavenly inheritance. How fitting that he was born, as our catechism says, in a low condition. And so scene one closes with the humble and obscure birth of Jesus. But though obscure to the residents of Bethlehem, it wasn't obscure to God. Scene two opens with God ensuring that his birth is noticed by somebody. Starting in verse eight, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. 
Shepherds had a bad reputation. Uh, the nature of their job kept them from observing most of the, uh, the ceremonial aspects of the law, certainly the most significant ones, and so they were spiritual outcasts of a sort. But one commentator famously put it, they also had, he says, quote, the unfortunate habit of confusing mine with thine as they moved around the country. Right? So you might want to lock up your things when the shepherds came through town. Their reputation was so low and they were considered so unre unreliable that their testimony was not allowed in a court of law. And yet, these are the people to whom God chooses to send his angels with the announcement of the birth of the Savior. How like God. What grace. The one who became poor for our sakes went to the poor, the spiritual outcasts, and wove them into his story. Our relationship with God, our relationship with God, doesn't depend on our worldly status. It doesn't depend on our reputation we have with important people. God is constantly showing us through the scriptures, as he does here, that no one is outside the reach of his grace. Well, imagine the shock that these shepherds experienced that night. One moment, all is silent except for the occasional rustling of sheep, and then suddenly it happened, right? All of a sudden, an angel of the Lord appears out of nowhere, radiating the glory of God. Initially, there's just one angel, and after calming them down and reassuring them that they don't need to be afraid, the angel gives them good news, right? This good news, this gospel is for all people. It will be great joy for all people because this long-awaited baby has been born. And look at the titles that the angel gives to Jesus in this announcement. He's, first of all, the Savior, right? The one who takes away our sin and restores us in our relationship with God. He's the Messiah, which means anointed one, right? It's the Hebrew equivalent to the Greek word Christ, this is the long-awaited, promised champion who will be the final anointed king, the final anointed prophet, the final anointed priest. In him, all God's promises are yes. He's the Lord, right? The ruler, the sovereign, the mighty God, everlasting Father, the King of kings and Lord of lords, under whom God the Father will unite all things in heaven and on earth. This baby is the Savior who takes away our sin and shame, our guilt, the Christ who fulfills all of our hopes, and the Lord who defeats all of our enemies, makes us safe and satisfied forever. And then the sky is suddenly lit with the armies of heaven, proclaiming glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Think about this with me for a second. These angels knew the Son of God in heaven long before his incarnation. Have you ever thought about that? They were created thousands and thousands of years before. They had all of that time to witness firsthand the Son of God's eternal glory and majesty. They observed humanity's fall. They knew about it. They had been informed that God would provide a way of salvation for us, but they didn't have the details. They didn't have all the details. Pastor Peter 
read from 1 Peter uh, chapter 1 last night. I won't repeat all of that this morning, but that passage tells us that the angels longed to look into the heavenly mysteries that the prophets proclaimed about the salvation that would come in Christ. And so all of this is unfolding before them over the centuries, over the millennia for them to watch. And although they knew a lot, they didn't know everything about what was going to happen. Knowing what they did know about the Son of God in heaven, we can assume that witnessing his birth, the Son of God literally emptying himself of his divine glory and prerogatives, becoming human, it must have caused these angels to stand in awe, right? To stand in awe of God's indescribably great love and gracious, humble service to us, his rebellious creation. And so for these reasons, and who knows how many more, they cry out, glory to God in the highest heaven. And with that announcement, the glory... Uh, 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 that announcement of glory to God, that announcement of peace on earth, scene two comes to a close. Scene three picks up with the angels returning to heaven, the shepherds going to find Jesus in Bethlehem. We pick up in verse 15. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had, seen, had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told." On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. So in scene three, the shepherds are, are rushing to Bethlehem to search for Jesus. And after they found him, they told everyone what had happened and everything that the angel had said about this child. They couldn't help themselves, right? This is, after all, Good news of great joy. They were so thoroughly convinced of the truth of their story, so sure of its importance to everyone, that they were willing to risk disbelief and ridicule. After all, miracles didn't happen every day in those days either. But what we see here is that good news inevitably leads to go. John Piper said it this way. He said, Worship is the fuel of missions. Right? Passion for God in worship precedes the offer of God in preaching. You can't commend what you don't cherish. Missionaries will never call out, let the nations be glad who cannot say from the heart, I rejoice in the Lord. These shepherds were overwhelmed with joy because God had visited them with salvation. And they couldn't help it. They just had to tell everyone they saw. What about you? Are you so convinced of the truth of the gospel? Are you sure that it's important? Has it captivated your heart? If so, who are you telling? If you struggle with those things, do what Mary did. 
pondering these things in her heart and thinking about them often. It's as you do that, right, as you deeply internalize the good news about the Savior that you'll be increasingly captivated by the glory of God in the highest heavens. It's as you do this, as you ponder with faith, that you'll also experience the peace to those on whom his favor rests. Praise God that he so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son to us. Praise God that Jesus left his glory in heaven to be with us, to save us. Praise God that Father and Son, through the Holy Spirit, pour out their peace to those on whom his favor rests. That is, on those who believe and trust in this Christ child by faith. May you experience that peace this Christmas and always. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you so loved the world that you sent your only son. Thank you, Jesus, that you came to us. Lord, stir in our hearts a fresh appreciation for this old truth that we rehearse all the time. Lord, may it never grow old, but would it stir us in in fresh ways, deeper ways, new ways than before. Father, fill us with an inexpressible joy that we can't help but give glory to God and to tell others around us of this good news. May he be peace for all kinds of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Lord, use us to spread that news, we pray. Amen.